turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. You're the CHO and, you know, every company needs to have one of you. (laughs) That is it for sure. That is for sure. And welcome to another edition, a brand new week of the Pro-America Report. I'm Noah. Thanks for joining me. Filling in for Ed Martin here for the What You Need to Know segment. We have a great show coming up for you, including great interviews a little bit later on with Ed Martin and Nicole Neely. She's the president of Parents Defending Education and also another great interview after that. So you're going to want to stay tuned. But first off, I'm in the middle of a sandwich, a happiness sandwich, if you will. We talked to Barry Shore last week, the ambassador of joy. End of the week, we're going to be talking to Kip Harris, author of Improbable Joy. Go to improbablejoy.com and sandwiched right in the middle is one of my favorite people. And I'm talking about the chief happiness officer. You heard me right. And I think every company needs one of these. Edwin Edabiri, he is on the show today to talk about something that I feel is tremendously important. But before we get there, Edwin's Happy Neighborhood Project reaches thousands upon thousands of people each and every year. And it shows them how to move away from the confines of a few things, indecisiveness, self-doubt, procrastination. I'm guilty of that one. Mediocrity and fear. And fear in today's society is pretty rampant. So they can help with that. Go to Happy Neighborhood Project. Dot com. Hey, it's the happiest place in the world for business people and so much more. Edwin, I'm so happy to talk to you again, my friend. How are you? Oh, I am happy. Noah. Thank you so much for having me and definitely appreciate you and all that you're doing to help to spread happiness. Hey, each and every way I can, my friend, and you're always involved in there somewhere because, again, you're the CHO and, you know, Every company needs to have one of you. <laughs> that is it for sure. That is for sure. Because, and, and, and Noah, I'm sure you know this, and a lot of CEO and that's chief executive officer, they also realize this, that their bottom line is going to be directly impacted by how happy their people are. Oh, amen to when that. It, you could have... When, when, when it's all said and done, yes. You could have, yeah, as you were going to say, when it's all said and done, financially, maybe you're making the bottom line, and that's great. But if you're not really inspiring people to be happy within your organization and making sure that, you know, you're on the right mission and everybody's cracking a smile each and every day, what are you really doing at the end of the day, my friend? Absolutely. And, and the people are just going to be using you to get to where they want to go, you know? That's right. You know, their eyes always going to be somewhere else. And they're always looking for that chief happiness officer. Because when it's all said and done, Bella Lama said the purpose of life is to be happy. That's right. That's a, and it's a great way to live, isn't it? Yes, yes it is, completely. And, well, and, and so, so we definitely want to do what we can to help the people so they can, and, and, and this is another thing that I share, Noah, is that we build whatever it is we are building on the foundation of happiness, then we are not looking for anything. You know, the society kind of tells us, you, say, you want to be successful, work really hard, you know, 
you know, work 16 hour a day, 18 hour a day, do whatever you have to do, become successful. And when you are successful, you will be happy. But it's kind of backwards because there's so many people who do that, who follow that plan, and then they become successful and they look back. Happiness did not come along. Yeah, I was just going to say that, and we'll get to the tips here in just a second. But you have some people, and they work hard, you know, and maybe they're not happy at the moment, and they think, okay, if I work hard enough, Edwin, you know, if I really push that boundary, and I do these, you know, 16-hour days, I do it five days a week for an extended period of time, eventually, I'm going to be happy. And all they find out is at the end of the day, they're exhausted. <laughs> and, and, and stress out, you know? Exactly. And, and, exactly. and that's no fun at all, yeah. No. Well, and speaking of fun, you know, we're approaching the holidays, and I thought, what should we talk about with Edwin today on the Pro-America Report? And you shot me a great idea. Let's talk about the tips for staying happy during the holidays, because a lot of stress comes with the holidays, too. Let's be real. Let's be honest. How many houses can I go to? Okay, am I financially living within my means? It can be a lot. So let's focus on these top five, and they don't have to be in any particular order, Edwin. Tips for staying happy during the Christmas and New Year's season. So I'm going to say, Noah, the number one on the list is you have to sew your coats according to your size. Okay. As much as you want to give gifts to everybody, you only can afford the gifts that fit into your budget. And so communication is very crucial. Communication with your spouse, communication with your children, communication with anybody else that's expecting anything from you. And once you have that communication, everybody's on the same wavelength. I'm telling you, it reduces the level of stress and the tension that is associated with holidays. Yeah, I'll tell you, Edwin, I originally a long time ago, and it was with good intention, I would buy for each and every one of my connection, family, friends, maybe not so close acquaintances. And I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, everybody's happy, except for me, because now I got to pay all this money back that I can't afford. Absolutely. And that is the worst part of it, because gift giving is supposed to be just that. It's supposed to be, you know, that you're giving of yourself, you know? But because we are in an economic system that the advertisement, they bombard us, they do a really good job, you know, they cause people to stress themselves so hard that they almost break. And as a matter of fact, some people do break, you know, because they stress too much. And then when the holiday is over, they look back and they are resentful, you know, because how did they get themselves into this kind of situation? They are resentful. So we don't want to do that. So the first is say, Size, you know, uh, sew your coat according to your size as far as budget for giving is concerned. But the second thing I will also say is still like we actually said, you know, you know, still sewing your coat according to your size. But this time, it's your time. Your time is very valuable. You know, if you if people start inviting you to all kind of stuff and you start saying yes, yes, yes to all kind of stuff and you start to make commitment, people coming to your home. And even though you're not really wanting people to come to your home that much, before you know if you're doing a party that you didn't prepare for, all those things increases your anxiety level, increases your stress level. It takes away the fun out of vacation, out of holiday season. Yeah. And you need to, again, be very honest with yourself and be honest with the people and communicate. Oh, I agree 100%. And yes, you want to make everybody happy. You want to be able to spend as much time with those that you care about, and that's a good thing. And I noticed that this year with myself, Edwin, I was saying yes to family. Great. I was saying yes to 
other parts of the family that, okay, so my family and my brother's family and my girlfriend's family, and that's great. And then I started making commitments to friends, you know, a couple that I really wanted to connect with that I have not seen in, in quite some time and some of them ever actually personally face to face. And then when I started to dot the I's and cross the T's, I noticed I'm a little overextended here. So scale it back. Make sure you can make the time. And if you can't, great, no problem. If you can't, as you said, be honest with yourself and maybe just, you know, tell people very graciously, hey, I'm going to have to back out. I love you. You know, let's reconnect another time, but don't overstep your bounds. Absolutely. And Andy, talking along that same line is you have to understand this time of the year is for you to reflect, you know, reflection, you know, really look back inside and say, wow, we are coming to the end of another year. Was I really happy throughout this year? You know, and if the answer is yes, you need to celebrate because not very many people can honestly say yes to that. And if it is no, then you need to identify a few things you can do differently this coming year so you can stay a little bit happier. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's actually a really good point. Reflect towards the end of the year. I kind of do it, you know, from Thanksgiving time all the way through New Year's. It's kind of an ongoing process. And the way I look at it, it's very simple. You don't necessarily have to make resolutions, although if you want to, that's great. If you've had a successful year in any way, financially, mentally, especially with your happiness, continue that into the next year. There's no need to make a a huge change if you are happy with the way, genuinely happy with the way your life is moving. Now, if you're not, that's when reflection really gets good and important. And you can, okay, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily the happiest I've ever been. Why is that? How do I fix it? Absolutely. And then this is the first one I'm going to say, and I'm hoping that it, it doesn't contradict the managing your time that I said, because it's still about managing, but it's find some of that time to do some volunteer work during this season, you know, to give of yourself. And, and this is very different because sometimes we are so focused on just family, 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 and yet you have something that a complete stranger could really benefit from. And is that giving to a complete stranger, you know, that little bit of time, that really affects you. Because family can take you for granted. But the complete stranger, it's like, wow, you know, where did this come from? And, and, and I remember, you know, when with the I Am Happy project, we sent people out to go do volunteering this season because there are a lot of people that don't have family that are very lonely. And a phone call from you, you know, a, a visitation could make a whole difference in terms of their, their, their holiday season. Yeah, and if you can't, you know, I know a lot of us, and myself included, like my time is very spread out, and I, I try and do the best that I can. And if you can, you know, make those additional commitments, that's great, and that's awesome. Now, if you can't, here's a suggestion that I think Edwin would endorse. Find an organization, one that you're either familiar with or maybe you're not familiar with, and say, you know what, I've supported them mentally and spiritually But financially, I really haven't done a whole lot. Take this time of year, and no matter the size, the size doesn't matter. If you can't afford it, make a donation to that organization. I have one. I'm going to call them out right here on the air. uh, Danger Man, who really helps kids at risk in urban communities. And make a donation towards somebody like that. Because at the end of the day, you're giving to them, the person, the organization, and then they're affecting the community. And it's really a win-win for everybody, Edwin. 
I totally agree 100%. You know, because you volunteer your time, you donate your money, it's an extension of your time. That is just the truth. So I totally agree. And then, and then finally, I think you need to like really take a deep breath, you know, take a deep breath, smell the roses, like they say, okay, really, really smell the roses and find one day that is just for you. You know, during this whole rush, 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 you know, if you can have two days, that's awesome. Three days, that's awesome. You know, I think for some people, when it becomes too long, then it becomes boring for them again. Yeah. But find a day that you can really just call your own day, you know, and, and, and do some of the things that you used to do when you were a kid, you know, things that are kind of silly, you know, that somebody might be, you know, thinking, okay, what's matter with this person? And if you, if you just laugh, just laugh for no reason at all. You know, find something you do that if somebody else was watching you, they think you've gone crazy, you know? Exactly. And, and it's okay. Give yourself that permission to be silly. Because when it's all said and done, folks, that's what life is really all about. And that last point is a great one. And the best part about it is there's no formula. It's going to be different for each and every individual where somebody might like, you know, getting together with their kids, which is like me. And we kind of rib each other. We tell bad jokes. We go to the movies together. You know, that's our way of of really bonding. Actually, even though it's spending time with them, that's my happy place, Edwin. That's when I am at the most relaxed. And so I don't need that necessarily time within myself, although I do take that each and every morning because I, I feel that that's important. But again, it's going to be different for everyone. And the reason I recommend this last part, though, is simply because most people are so used to giving and they just give, 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 give of themselves and they tend to forget themselves. That's right. You know, and, you know, and, and, and so when you do that, it's like, it's like having self-compassion. Because a lot of times people are compassionate to other people and then they just drain themselves. So, so I, the reason I recommend that and also, you know, the lot is, yes, you can spend time with family. I get that. That's awesome. You know, you can spend time with friends. You know, there's going to be a lot of businesses doing networking, end of year events and all this kind of stuff. But that time you spend with yourself, it's almost like driving a car into a gas station and refueling the tank, you know? And now you are able to carry people again in that car to as many places you want to go. Oh, I agree 100%. And that's why I put that caveat in there. What I do every day, and again, someone might have a different take on it. I have my morning cup of coffee. I 99% of the time have it alone. I reflect on the day, you know, what's what I'm most grateful for. And then from there, I go into my prayer time. And I try and do that as often as possible because that kind of keeps me grounded, Edwin. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, 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 you can never beat that. I agree 100%. Well, let's get into something really quickly. We got about 90 seconds left, Edwin, but I don't want to forget about this on the Pro America Report because it's going to be here before you know it. And it comes once a year and it's the International Day of Happiness. It happens on March 20th. Tell us all about it and why we celebrate it. Well, this is a day that was actually passed in 2012. It was a resolution by the United Nations declaring to uh, March 20th, you know, every year as International Day of Happiness. And it was a movement that we supported and we had to bring about when I hosted the Global Happiness Summit in 2010. And so by 2012, they passed the resolution. The first time it was celebrated was 2014. Now, most people in the U.S. are not really familiar with it. A lot of folks in Europe do celebrate it. They take time off, you know. 
But it's just a day to really focus on happiness. You know, it's just reminiscent. You know, what are you grateful for today? What are some of the things that you will not ordinarily do in regular day that brings about happiness? It's bringing happiness to consciousness, you know? And, and, and so, so it's a day that, you know, it might just be another, you know, same day for you, but it's a day that you are way more aware, you are way more conscious that, wow, all of these things that I'm doing for myself, for my family, for my community, for the world, it's really based on a foundation of happiness. And it's a great event. We're definitely going to be, as we get closer, we're going to have you on my regular show, which is across the county, and we're going to get into that in depth. So if you're listening right here, stay tuned for that on my show. It's been a pleasure, Edwin, having you on the Pro-America Report today, just talking about general tips of happiness, about how people during the holidays can be a little bit happier. So we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so very much. And again, thank you for helping to spread happiness. It is my pleasure, my friend. And if you're a business person out there, make sure you tell your powers that be they need a CHO. They need a chief happiness officer because that is why <laughs> and where and how your businesses are going to thrive. Noah here on the pro. That's Edwin Ediberry, and there's nobody better. Happy Neighborhood Project. Dot com. When it comes to you talking about the subject of happiness, go to ProAmericaReport.com. There's more coming up. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it's time to catch up with our friend, uh, Nicole Neely, who we talked to a few months ago and talked about her organization, Parents Defending Education. And it's DefendingEd.org. We're just laughing off the air. Defending Ed. Sounds good. DefendingEd.org. So uh, welcome back, Nicole. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. And so, first of all, I, uh, this week I've talked a number of times on the show uh, about um, the teachers union, the news that came out this week. The teachers union, one of the larger unions, I think there's maybe two of them that AFT and NEA, but uh, um, they had their one of their big meetings and they started out by saying that they were going to... Um, fight for critical race theory and fight anyone who was against it. And then they rescinded that and said, sorry, we didn't mean that. We're going to be nice to everyone and ha ha ha. And they kind of moved on because they got bad press. Um, but Washington Post uh, earlier today, early, early Friday, it was Friday or Thursday, had a, a, an op-ed that said they would support school choice. Pretty stunning, actually. Um, what's what are you what are you feeling? I and mean, when you're talking about education and what's happening, what's going on on the ground? Yeah, I mean, it's a mess. And it's really interesting to watch the teachers union kind of flail because for a while, you know, we were all being gaslit and told it's not being taught in schools. It's a complex legal theory. And then they turn around and say, we're going to send a bunch of money. This is great. And so it's really I'm kind of getting whiplash at this point. But, you know, I think what I always try to remind people is there are great teachers out there. There are bad teachers unions. And I think what we're seeing right now is bad teachers unions that are power hungry, that are money hungry, and they have every other priority in the world except for our children. And I think people, they're starting to realize that and they're getting really fed up. Well, and so they're getting fed up and we're seeing a coverage of uh, Loudoun County, Virginia and a different a couple of different places. There's lots of talk and lots of people saying run for school board. There's recall campaigns happening across the country. Um, the danger I feel and one of the reasons why it's important that you're there, your organization. And again, we're, we're talking to Nicole Neely and the organization is Parents Defending Education and DefendingEd.org is how do you stay focused on the right problem? And um, for example... It feels like sometimes we'll get the school board in a place, and you'll read about it, to back off on one thing, and everyone will say, yeah, see, we won. Uh, transgender bathrooms, let's say. And they say, okay, we're going to do something different than we were going to originally do. But the fact is, 
the people and the school boards are coming at this from a different point of view. A lot of them are really put there by the unions and put there uh, by the movement against, I think, parents and kids. And people go and say, oh, we did well. We beat that back or we changed that. And it's still going on. And my example would be critical race theory is horrendous. But so is the curriculum for 25 years in most of these schools. And are people going to follow through enough to, to really get the change that we need? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it reminds me of that saying um, by Thomas Jefferson, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Just because we win these little discreet skirmishes doesn't mean we've won the war. And I was talking to a coworker who um, has worked on school choice for many years, and she said, after the Janus decision a couple of years ago that, um, you know, said right. you didn't have to be in a right. union and union dues, one thing that the NEA spent a lot of money and they sort of redirected was um, to try and get elect NEA members onto school boards. And that's why we're seeing a lot of these school boards act against our will. And so I think, you know, the, it, I, hate, I hesitate to say that, you know, there's a silver lining to COVID, but I think it really drove home for a lot of parents. What the heck has been going on under our noses for, you know, for the past forever? Um, and so I think people are sort of awakened to the fact that this is a threat. Um, and I think it's also, you know, with all the lockdowns, people are starting to realize local governments and state governments have this massive amount of sway over our day-to-day lives. I think many of us have just focused exclusively on Washington, D.C., me included, for the past 15 years. But at the end of the day, we really, if we care about our children, if we care about our communities, we need to show up at the school board level. We need to show up at the city council level and not let these bureaucrats get away with murder. And that's why they're starting to fight so hard. And they're calling us, you know, astroturf and we're all right-wingers. No, we're just a lot of parents around the country who have seen what's going on, gotten really angry, and are not taking it. And they they don't know what to do with that. We, uh, let me, and, and I agree, by the way, Nicole Neely, she, I should have said earlier, president and founder of uh, Parents Defending Education, and also uh, has worked in a, a number of places on these issues, and her organization, which people should check out, Defending Ed, DefendingEd.org, uh, to find out more, a national uh, organization, grassroots focused on reclaiming the schools, um, and especially, it's, it's different than, the organization is different, I think it's important for people, because you're saying reclaim the schools, it could be for school choice, it could be for the school boards, it could be whatever, it fits the local community. Um, so, Nicole, back to your answer there. Um, I, I think you're right about if there's one if there's one silver lining about the covid, it said everybody had to sort of take a shock look at things they were doing, you know, their work life, commuting and, and then especially schools, other things. Um, so but we haven't seen big change yet, have we? In fact, what we're seeing now is the conversation about next school year sounding a little bit like a year ago, which is like, well, we may come back. We're going to have restrictions. We may do some people. We may vaccine testing. I, it is Where's the I mean, maybe you're going to say it, politics, grassroots politics is, is messy. So it's happening in different ways in different places. But, you know, is there um, is there uh, are you optimistic that we're moving in the right direction and sort of give us uh, a pump up on this? <laughs> I am optimistic because I think there are a lot of people who just have never been involved in local politics. I mean, and I think so many conservatives I speak to, you know, they haven't gone to their school board meetings or their city council meetings because they've been busy building businesses, going to church, running Girl Scout troops. Um, but we are realizing now that the bad guys have been showing up and they have been running the tables on us. And so we're starting to see, you know, school board elections are held at weird times. They're off cycle. They're often very hidden. The incumbents don't want you to know or definitely don't want you to challenge them. But people are realizing, hey, wait a minute, this is my money. This stuff is being done to my kids in my name. How dare you? And so we're starting to see people, even we have a tip line on our website. We get about 100 to 200 tips a week. 
most people say they want to be anonymous when they submit tips, but sometimes we'll follow up right. and we'll say, hey, can I connect you with a reporter? And I think we're starting to see the tide turn because people are realizing, you know what? If not me, then who? If not now, then when? And so we're starting to see people. That's why all those viral videos of parents speaking at school boards are, you know, they're making the rounds because people are drawing inspiration from others. There is strength in numbers. We have thousands and thousands of people across the country who reach out to us who want to fight back. They're getting off Facebook, getting off Twitter, showing up and making a difference. And so I think we are only starting to see the tide turning, but it is going to be amazing. Yeah. Again, we're, we're talking with Nicole Neely. Her organization is DefendingEd.org and Parents Defending Education. Here's one question. A lot of people want to do something now, right, about what's going on. They feel a lot of frustration and, and maybe because the media, you know, is and, 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 and social social media and even big tech feeds this kind of uh, agitation is what I call it. But they want to do something now. Can you are, are people doing something? I've always wondered about this. Could, can, can people locally find out their sunshine law or their FOIA law and, and sort of do, ask the right questions? Is that a move? I see on your website, one of the useful things is the indoctrination map, which is really clever. You can click on it, uh, bore down on this, and you can see in your area, your state, school districts, what they're doing, the parental organizations. But is, is that FOIA? Is that FOIA movement? Because that drives bureaucrats crazy. If somebody asks for information in the right way, they have to respond. You are right. Yes, it is a terrific tool, and it's something everybody should know how to do. So we have a guide on how to file FOIAs and different state laws. We have a guide to different state laws about that as well. But everybody should know how their tax dollars are being spent. And you're right, it does drive people crazy. Actually, the Rhode Island State Superintendents Association is trying to change the state's sunshine laws because they don't want people knowing how they're spending our money. Um, But everybody should, yeah, file the FOIA, get the information, and share it, publicize it, figure out... How much did they spend on these equity consultants when districts had less money to work with last year because so many of us pulled our children out of public schools, put them in private school or homeschooled them? You have less money, yet you're still turning around and spending money on consultants that are ginning up a lot of hatred and division in the schools. That's interesting. That's a story. And this is happening in red states. It's happening in blue states. It's happening in private schools and parochial schools. And so we really should know what's going on. And so I I urge all of your listeners, yeah, file the FOIAs and then pass the tips on to us because... I think there's a misconception that much of this is only happening in California and New York. It's not. It's everywhere. And so let's expose it so then we can fix it. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right about that, and 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 people tend to sometimes that that's another thing they do. They do something and they don't know where to send it or where to do it. I'm looking on the website. Where's the tip line? Where, tell me that tip line or how to get that on here because I want to put that up on social media too. Sure. It's um, if you go to um, get uh, yeah on the on the website. It's up in the right corner. Yep. There's join the movement. And then oh, got it. Okay. Yep. An incident. Yeah. So oh, I yeah, got you. you yep. Have, I see it now. Yep. Yeah. Send a hyperlink, you know, Great. whatever you know that's going on your school, patch.com, anything, because um, then we'll get it out to other people. Yeah, and you know, it's what you're finding, and you just said something about it. It's not California, New York. In fact, a uh, good friend of mine's down in Florida. You say, well, it's a red state, pretty red, you know, and he's in a pretty red county. Turns out his school board had all kinds of things going on. It was exactly what he said right under their nose. All right, uh, listen, thank you, Nicole Neely. Uh, thank you for coming on again. And again, the organization is Parents Defending Education, DefendingEd.org. We'll put all this up on uh, on social media, and we'll talk again very soon. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And great to have our old friend uh, Felipe Coelho, a professor of public policy at the Pontifical University in Santo Domingo. Uh, he's been very active in the Republican Party as a policy leader, uh, worked on the transition team for the Trump campaign in 2016 into 2017, and has worked all over the world, has co-authored a book with our great friend Ted Malik, which is Trump's World, uh, which was out in uh, January 2020. And he's just a very good guy. And he's got a piece over at um, the Postal, the Postal, which I didn't know this site, but the Postal.com. You can correct me on that, and I'll, I'll talk about them in a minute. But the title of it is very interesting to me. A Euro-Chinese Redux, the Curious Case of Viktor Orban. And so, first of all, welcome, Felipe, back to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me, Ed. Good to hear from you again. So, yeah, um, it is, it is Orban... The Postal. The Postal. Okay, good. And the Postal, a, there's good. A good I... uh, there's a good little story for that. It's something to do with the uh, notes that the monks would put in the uh, edges of their study Bibles. That's what a Postal is. Oh. Yeah, I right. see it now, so, actually. I'm looking at it. That's right. That's yeah, a, tell me. Uh, there was a big boat. Is the is the hidden uh, what is it? The buried lead in that story. There was a big boat yeah. in Brussels on uh, human rights and whether or not to put some sanctions on the Chinese. And uh, the defector, which is the technical term uh, for uh, game theory for these kinds of situations, the defector in that boat was um, Hungary. And so. Mm. It, uh, it, does, it, it raises some questions that the uh, other 26 European countries would all vote the same way and uh, Hungary would veto that particular uh, thing that was being voted on in that moment. And um, so I, I, I go through the permutations of uh, exactly whose interests are being uh, defended there. And as mm-hmm. usual, we find that our uh, German allies aren't as good allies as we wish they were. <laughs> as usual is exactly right uh we're talking again with felipe cuelo uh, on this one i was a little i'm really interested orban as you say was the loan it was it's like the security council at the un and if somebody vetoes it it knocks it out or has the has an impact and but but at the same time orban finds himself being i mean wholeheartedly attacked by the european union and its nations over his policies in his nation the big the most recent one is that uh, on uh, uh lbg lbd lbtg lbt lesbian and gay yeah, issues so he, actually, he uh that's actually had, a good story ed the uh so, so that's yeah. with uh, a good tie-in for the euro cup which uh, the brits are about to win with uh, any luck on sunday <laughs> but uh yeah what, what am I telling you? So it was uh, Hungary, Germany that was playing that particular game. It was, uh, I forget in which town in Germany it was. But basically the Hungarians said, we're not going to the game if you light up the stadium in rainbow colors. And they put their foot down and they got the rainbow uh, show taken down. And that was the end of that. And of course, huh. they got criticized a lot for that. But it was, you know, based in uh, whatever laws they have in Hungary and yada, yada, yada. And basically, you know, they won the argument. I don't, I don't, you know, they, you got to learn to take a win sometimes as well. But yeah. So, day, and my and my point, that, that and my point side he- issue uh, is yeah, not really what it, what it's all about when you're talking about uh, stuff like China and whether or not they're uh, cooperating uh, with the uh, the fifth, the Chinese fifth column or something, right? 
Uh, yeah, so this is what I want to ask you. That, but as part of the dynamic, too, uh, well, I'll say this and then I'll let's come back to it. Uh, the rest of the world, and when you see the uh, the um, Belt and Road Initiative, it's it's China throwing money all over the world, and they're saying, you know, you need money, we'll give you money to countries that really need money, and then they take it and they obviously have a relationship. In I remember being over in Poland, and the Poles were frustrated, and so were the Hungarians, as I read, over the fact that um, Nordstrom Two was going to go through, which would buy bypass their countries and get a pipeline to Germany so Germany would benefit and so would Russia and and it would leave them out and they thought this was you know really unfair and 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 was disingenuous of German as usual and my point here is these nations uh, at least they either need money or they think they need money is that what's behind this so the, the Greeks were the um, the usual example but the, the difference is of course that the Greeks were actually much broker and the Hungarians are now. The Hungarians have actually been quite well governed uh, for this past 15 years or so when Orban has been in office. That's not, so my issue with Orban isn't uh, his, his domestic policy. He's actually a, a conservative icon in a lot of ways. And I do go through mm-hmm. a bit of that in the piece. Uh, but mm-hmm. what, uh, and, and I mean, I should, uh, I should mention there have been more recent developments since that was published. So there is a whole mm-hmm. faction that shifted um, towards uh, a broad-based right-wing alliance of uh, European forces, which is something that Ted and I have been uh, advocating for uh, for a couple of years now. And it does include Orban. So, you know, maybe he's listening and uh, finally uh, playing for the team. Adjusting. But uh, that, vote, yeah. uh, that vote against the sanctions in China is very worrying. Is uh, and yet, um, aren't some of the nations in the EU uh, sort of knee deep in uh, in the uh, the Chinese regime? Also, I remember being in uh, Verona, Italy, I don't know, two and a half years ago for the uh, World Congress on the Family, and reading the headlines that uh, that that Italy had signed off on basically a their own version of uh, Chinese investment, communist regime investment uh, to build roads and all. I guess who's not in the tank for China? <laughs> Uh, that, that is a that is the right question. Um, the with the Italians, I forget uh, the the specific case you're talking about, but the uh, coronavirus, uh, it must be remembered, came into Europe through Italy, and a a, right. a large uh, flux back and forth that uh, Italy and China have going on, or at least they did before the pandemic. Uh, so maybe that will make the Italians think a little harder about uh, how they feel about the rest. But um, it, it is it is complicated, Ed, because, again, with, the, with this Hungarian vote, it's not the Hungarian interests specifically that are being defended here. Hungary has very, very little to do with China economically. They're not really taking uh, uh, much of that money. They have some deal with a university or something, which is still suspicious. Right. But, you know, that, mm-hmm. that there are uh, countries that have sold half of the, uh, well, I'm, I exaggerate, but they've sold large parts of land which uh is uh puts their sovereignty into question in some in some ways but uh with the hungarians that's not what's going on what's going on is you have big economic interests from the european side so the the german motor industry is one that is always mentioned uh the german power sector is worth mentioning since you brought up uh Nord Stream 2 mm-hmm. as well yeah the that those are right. the kind of pieces that uh make up this puzzle in Europe, in Brussels. And so if you have to wield a vote like Hungary's in the European Council, which is what was uh, going on in this particular vote, um, there are ways to do that. 
And we have to figure out a way to make sure that that kind of votes that obviously the White House, be it Biden or Trump, they're, they're always, you know, that the American priority is clear. That's why this topic is being broached, uh, whether it's at NATO or in the uh, direct uh, summits that Blinken has had with the Europeans, uh, with what is it, uh, von der Leyen and, uh, and Michel. Uh, these mm-hmm. are topics that have been brought up by the Americans because of the American national interest. And so when you see somebody like Hungary, which is supposed to be one of the most pro-American countries, you have to start asking some hard questions. Yeah, and I, and I guess um, so. Is your thought uh, so? It, 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 is it money? I mean, is it is is it money or is it? Uh, I guess you're actually, and your piece does make this point again. Let me say we're talking with Felipe Coelho, who's a professor of public policy at the Pontifical University in Santo Domingo, longtime uh, policy um, uh, aide to uh, President Trump and his campaign and all. Um, is in this case is so? If, if Hungary's not sort of taking the cash, it, it, you're saying it's the influence. So is it a bank shot? It's it's other forces that 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 uh, economic forces that want. Uh, to keep this open. Is it even, Felipe, that these other nations have to sound like they're tough? I just looked up the article. Uh, it was May 23rd, 2019. Uh, then Premier uh, Giuseppe Conte with the President Xi Jinping signed a kind of memorandum. Well, there's a coverage of two years later. Everybody's upset about it, as you point out. Italy Italy doesn't think as much of China. They're backing off of it. But a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm mad at China. It happens in America. And then the last thing they want is actual action against them because they like the markets and they like the action, right? There is a lot of that going on. Uh, that's definitely the, the, a bigger part of the story when it comes to Iran. Uh, the Europeans are very keen to, uh, to get in on the Iranian market. Um, with China, there, it's, it's a little bit worse than that in the sense that, for example, Volkswagen has a big factory in Xinjiang where the Uyghurs uh, are from. And so when you're talking about establishing the precedent of sanctioning over human rights concerns, uh, what is it, the, the, the party boss of Xinjiang province or whatever, wh- whoever it was on that list, uh, you're, you know, the, the next round of those sanctions are going to end up looking at European executives from the car industry. And so... I, you know, I don't know how exactly I can pinpoint the uh, the circles of influence and uh, and uh, pick out the names for you, but, but uh, uh, there's um, there's something to be said for uh, uh, non-monetary uh, forms of influence, I suppose, uh, for being <laughs> yeah. optimistic about it. That uh, I, I don't know uh, the lob- the big lobbying offices or somebody with uh, with that sort of role hmm. of swinging yeah. votes might have. Yeah. Well, it's a it's an important. Uh, I'm glad you wrote that piece. It's an important topic, and watching uh, Europe struggle with it uh, uh, is. Um, I think it's not. We're not only seeing the beginning of it. All right, I've got to run. Unfortunately, uh, Felipe Coelho, again, a professor of, uh, pu- of public policy uh, at Pontifical you University in Santo Domingo, me and, and uh, Getter. Getter, yes. What's your handle? It's at F C U E L L O. My last name and my first initial. F Coelho. F. Quayla. Okay. Very good. Thank you, sir. We'll talk again soon. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
And that's going to wrap it up on this edition of the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to get all of the interviews you heard today from myself and Ed Martin. Ed will be back for more great interviews tomorrow, as will I. So stay tuned at this same time. And thanks for joining us here. As I've been taking the helm of the What You Need to Know segments for the short term. And we hope that Ed will be back doing them very shortly. My special thanks to Edwin Itaberry for What You Need to Know today. And we'll see you tomorrow right here on the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com and we will see you tomorrow, America. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.